Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello and welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, episode 78, entitled Amir Helzer Explains Toolset Relationships and Gutenberg Support. It was released on Thursday, the 31st of May, 2018. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England, and I'll be joined a little bit later by David Wormsley from davidwormsley.com so that we can have our usual discussion, and in this case it's called browser testing. How much should we do? At the very end, after we've had a chat with Amir Helzer from Toolset, we will go and have our little ending fact, which this time around is called Most Popular Themes. Please, please, please go and share this episode of the WP Builds podcast all over the place. iTunes reviews are always very helpful. Um, we've got a Facebook group over at wpbuilds.com forward slash Facebook. You can subscribe to our newsletter and pretty much everything else now. I've amended the subscribe page so that you can get onto the YouTube channel, the Messenger chat, the Slack channel, and, and so on and so forth. If you go to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. And I have to mention at the beginning of the podcast that Amir Helzer has offered 20% off any of the two licenses which uh, Toolset offer. There's the one-site license and then, then there's the un unlimited site license. They don't have a coupon code system. and Basically, the, the link has to be hardwired, so uh, you have to actually go to the wpbuilds.com forward slash deals page. So that's forward slash D-E-A-L-S. And you can click on one of those two links if you'd like 20% off either of those two licenses, which is very, very generous indeed. Okie dokie. We don't have a competition at the moment or anything like that, but um, if you are a plugin developer and you'd like to offer one of your plugins, or indeed you know anybody who'd like to offer any of those kind of things, please send them in my direction. That would be most useful. So today we're talking to Amir all about Toolset. Toolset is a plugin which allows you to make custom post types and uh, query all sorts of things with their views plugin. Um, it's very, very complicated and allows you to do complicated things, but most recently they've updated it to version 3.0 and it allows you to do complicated things like relationships. We talk about that, but we also talk rather a lot about Gutenberg and all of the goodies that Amir and his team have packed in. So we'll get to that just in a little moment, but before then, if you would like to listen to me and David talk about browser testing, then stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the podcast yet again. And today's discussion is browser testing, how much is worth doing? And I think I'll add on the end to that these days, because I think things have changed. Nathan, do you want to tell us about what you do, if you do anything? Yeah, I think things have changed a lot. Um, when I began making websites, it was in the era of um, Internet Explorer. I think it was 5.5, possibly, at the time, was just coming around. And then shortly after that, we had the, the, the wonderful Internet Explorer version 6, which was just fabulous in every way. It never caused anybody a problem, he said <laughs> mockingly. Um, because at that period of time... When I began, there were there was a what you might call a browser war. Um, there had been um, Netscape Navigator, 
There'd probably been some other ones before that as well. But there was um, Internet Explorer, which was embedded into Windows. So it became the de facto um, browser. But, um, but oh, and then there was also Firefox had come around and it was doing its open source wonderfulness. Um, and at that time, browsers had major updates periodically. So they would, you know, the, the, the software would be developed and maybe a year would go by and and it would update itself and the the situation back then was that mozilla the people who created firefox i I don't think in any way communicated with the the microsoft people you know so they would introduce features which were not supported in internet explorer and internet explorer would have its own way of doing this thing as well and Mm -hmm. so if you've been making websites for the length of time that i have you'll remember that you simply could not trust that a website would work on the browser that you that your audience might be looking at so if they was using internet explorer 6 it would look mm-hmm. wildly different to internet explorer 7 or mozilla and so whenever you made a website you had this horrible process of going back looking at the browsers working out where the mistakes were working out what you had to do and then you had to create little css um, snippets and, and sometimes it would be a, a completely different CSS style sheet um, devoted mm. to Internet Explorer 6 and Internet Explorer 7 and then Internet Explorer 8. Thankfully, those days are now largely gone because the browsers automatically update, everything's kept up to date, and as far as I'm concerned, they mostly, I'm going to say mostly, very reservedly, they mostly output a pretty much identical page um, whether you're on well what have we got now we've got internet explorer uh, has been replaced by edge we've still got firefox mm-hmm. and now we've obviously got chrome and safari um and because they adopt i think they're talking to each other more a lot of the browsers are using the same sort of chromium uh, base toolkit if you like anyway so I, I have become very lazy with this, and I don't really test them very much. And then, of course, to throw some more into it, we've got the advent of the mobile browser, which is a, mm. is a, is a, new, a whole new thing to discuss. So, um, yes, it's become less important in, in my eyes. Yeah, and, and the same with me. I mean, it did feel like when I started, that was the main thing. Banjo, I still see sites being in India. I would go look up some of the local council or government sites that you find for India and you'll still see those little things saying best viewed at uh, sort of 10.24 on Microsoft's Internet Explorer. They still exist, those sites are still out there. <laughs> That's a you worry, know? isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it felt like that was the job that you did then. And, that, and particularly in those early days, maybe you classed them as kind of the leftovers of web 1.0, where you were just really trying to recreate people's um, print advertising on the net. Um, that's what it was all about. But yeah, these days, I don't do anything really now. Mm. I mean, I, I move around between the browsers that I have, and they seem to look okay, and it goes out there. And I wonder really what other people do with this, because, you know, previously, we'd be costing for that time to browse a test to make sure it was going to work, where now I don't have this conversation with people and I don't do it. Yeah, um, I, I used to have a, a clause in my contracts which would stipulate that if it was Internet Explorer 6 or earlier, well, 
for a start, it will, I just simply wouldn't, ex- um, the, the build would not encompass those browsers. And if they mm. wished to, to worry about those browsers, um, then they would have to pay extra. And, and of course, that was in the days where the browsers updated very slowly and you had to go and manually download the, the update. Then Chrome came along with its automatic updating. And, and, and I, think, I think the reason that we have become less, it, the reason it has become less of an obligation for us to test is in, in large measure because, because of the enormous amounts of work that the browsers have done to to coalesce mm. and to become more standardized and i think that the people at microsoft talk to the people at mozilla and i think they talk to the people at google and you know i, I think there was a very large drive to stop wasting everybody's time and and get to the point where with 99 percent certainty the html served up in one browser would replicate what's served up in another browser because all all the standards were the same, you know. Uh, a, a p tag meant this, and a and a div meant this, and it would always mean this. And and obviously that's a very basic example, but things like that mattered in older browsers. So my process is: I have a Mac. I used to have a virtual machine using VirtualBox so that I could run Windows, so that I could test things on um, on Internet Explorer. But all I do now is when I've built the site, I'll build it in Chrome, um, and then I will. I will look at it on um, my Mac version of uh, Firefox. I'll look at it on, well, I believe you can only look at it on the Mac version of Safari. I don't think they make it on Windows anymore. So I'll look at it in those three browsers. It's been a very, very long time since I looked at it and thought, oh, there's a difference there. In fact, I genuinely can't remember the last time. And then I've got an Android phone. So I'll pick that up and browse it on the phone and hope that everything is as expected. Or I might shrink yeah. the you know the viewport size on the uh, on the desktop uh, because nobody's querying the, the you know what browser you're looking at anymore. Nobody's querying to see if it's an Android browser and serving up a completely different site. We're just now collapsing things um, and using responsive design to make it the correct size, and and that's what I do. I just I just eyeball it, and and if it looks fine, I leave it. And I think because I'm a a big user of page builders and all of that technology. A lot of that work has gone on in the background by people other than me. Yeah, and I was thinking about this because I'm now going towards offering different products to clients. And I was thinking, could I have browser testing as a product? But I don't even know what that would look like these days because the last couple of times I were caught out on something not displaying in browsers was not really something I would have picked up, I don't think, through testing. One was that I had a drop-down menu that wasn't working on iPhones, and that was due to minification that I did with WP Rocket, which I would have added after I'd done my testing. And another quirk that came up recently was something to do with the Edge browser, which um, it, it's actually something to do with the source set attribute, where if you got under certain circumstances where you had a heavy load on a page, it would squish up the images, it wouldn't work properly. And uh, it's just a little bug. It's not something that you'd really necessarily pick up through browser testing because for me to replicate that, I had to keep refreshing a page over and over and over and over again. So, yeah, so I, I actually wonder what you do. I mean, have you ever used any of these tools, Nathan, that are around? Have you used like browser shots or? Do, do you know, in the day, I, I toyed with those kind of things. Um, if memory serves, you would 
kind of feed it a URL um, and wait a little while and it would show you um, an image. I can't remember whether you could interact with them or not, but it would certainly it would give you visual feedback of what it looked like on different browsers. I presume they would, um, you know, f- put that into a browser on a legitimate machine with that actual browser on it and then take sort of screenshots. Uh, so I did, but I did it just as an experiment in the same way that you do with everything. A new technology comes along and you play with it because I had enough browsers um, and I had two computers. So I kept one on the old version of Internet Explorer and would test it on that. And then I would, mm. you know, I'd keep the, the most up to date version on the other computer. Then, I, like I said, I used VirtualBox and had all sorts of um versions of windows xp and so on and and windows whatever the next version was um so no and and i think those presumably a bit dead in the water as businesses however the same problem that that we had with all of that still does exist in a quirky way and that that is um emails email um clients still behave in this horrible way i mean they're definitely getting better but i create quite a lot of HTML, HTML emails, and I have to test those. And so you can use services like Litmus um, and things like that. And I do I do test them, but I, I tend to keep my my emails fairly um, in, in rows so that that's mitigated. But if you're doing a complicated layout of images and pictures, it can still genuinely be a nightmare creating table-based layouts for email clients I really hope that's going to be behind us soon because it's just ridiculous. Mm, that's interesting because there has been quite a move. I've seen a lot of people who do digital marketing well and copywriting particularly talk about how emails that do better have less in them. So yeah. they just have some very simple text in it. And I yep. just thought, oh, I'm not going to worry about this stuff. Yeah. But well, I guess you have. No, I was going to say, have you noticed how all the internet marketers, the, the real, the guys who really do well at it, they just write in plain text. Um, yes, I think the theory is that it seems more like an authentic email, you know, because obviously if you were, if you were to get an email with loads of aligned images and crazy fonts mm-hmm. and all of that, that's clearly it's an advert, um, yes, and and it's obviously been designed to been you know to be put into an autoresponder and sent out many 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 times, whereas ones where you know they have uh, merge tags and things so that your name gets put in there and all that kind of stuff. Um, that that feels, I think, a little bit more authentic. Anyway, but we digress. We're no longer talking about browser <laughs> testing, are we? <laughs> no. So and yeah, I don't know what the, yeah, the tools. I mean, I, the only two I remember, and and this is going back because I've not tried them. Was Browser Sack was the pro one, which was really expensive. It would test everything, but as I say, very expensive. And then there was this one called Browser Shots, which that's the one I was up. about to say. Yeah, Browser Shots. That rings a bell. Yeah, that's the well, one. It I looks used. like it's. <laughs> yeah, 2002. It looks like that was made in or something. I don't even know if it works now. I must go and check it out. But uh, yeah, I this one conversation I have not seen in any of our Facebook groups at all about browser testing. So, do we do it these days? My, my Does anybody is, do it? Yeah, my guess is that what I do is overkill because I think the time will soon arrive where uh, it'll be the same. Um, yeah, and it, it, in a in a way. It doesn't really make sense for the browsers to behave differently. I mean, I, I could see that in the in the beginnings of the internet, when these proprietary systems like Microsoft with their Internet Explorer and Mozilla, they were trying to do things 
by themselves to sort of push the technologies. Well, now with these consortia and much mm. more open approach to developing these things, I think we've realized that really the money doesn't come from the browser itself. It comes from all the things that the browser serves up. So why not just make the best browser, um, make it open source, let everybody use it, everybody contribute to it, make it better over time. And then we can all benefit rather than having these proprietary technologies where this browser can do this thing, whereas this browser can do that thing. Do you still use um, things like hyphen moz for things like border radius and things like that? No, I never have. I seem to remember all of that kind of stuff. You know, you would use a different border radius setting for Mozilla and you'd use a different one for, um, you know, the rest of the world and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, hopefully. Sorry. Hello? I do. Yes, no, I do do that. Sorry, oh. I, I realize what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that will pass us by. I, I still do it just because it's habit. And I have those snippets in my IDE. So I, when I want to do a border radius, I literally click a button and, and it just chocks that in. So I don't really think about what I'm writing. And maybe the time has come just to use border radius. Maybe that's just utterly obsolete now. Yes. And talking of that, I think there was uh, a little bit of JavaScript that used to work to make it work in um, IE 8 and maybe some later versions as well. And I bet they're still on some of my old sites because they used to add that as well. Oh, I've just remembered what the thing was that made Internet Explorer so horrible. Do you remember it was the transparent PNG? It couldn't do it. And there was, oh, I remember this. So, yeah, there was all sorts of little JavaScript hacks that you could put in to <laughs> fake it. And it yes. somehow, you would you would overlay the whole page with like this one pixel transparent PNG. Or I can't remember how it all worked, but thankfully all of that's behind us. So the bottom line is we don't really do a massive amount of browser testing anymore. We just inspect it, eyeball it, and get it out the door. Yeah, and I would love to hear if there is a product that I could make that is testing and how I might go about that. Mm. So if anybody does do this and knows how they have if, how they go about their system, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, that would be good. You know, and especially if if we're being lazy, you know, is there some horrible gotcha that we are missing that might be upsetting our clients? Um, perhaps there is. I don't know. Well, there we go. All right. So that was browser testing. How much do we do it? And um, I guess now we'll um, we'll move on to our interview section. Okay. Hi there, everybody. This is the interview part of the podcast now. And for the second time, actually, it seems I think it's probably about a year ago since we had um, Amir Helza on from what is now Toolset. Um, Hi, Amir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, Amir's the the CEO, I think that's right, of On The Go Systems, which is um, a, a, a very popular uh, plug-in development team. Um, and Amir is in Israel. I don't know. Is your team all over the world or are you basically all in one office? How does that work? Uh, I'm the only one. No, we have two other people from Israel. Okay. Uh, most of our guys are from Europe, uh, a lot in South America, some in Asia. Oh, okay, so really spread out. Um, now, the the thing that Amir is famous for, I suppose, the products that you've probably heard of are a couple of things. There's WPML, uh, which we're probably not going to touch on today too much. 
um, but uh, the ability to um, make your site multilingual. Um, but we're going to focus a little bit more on Toolset, which can now be found over at toolset.com. When did you when did you actually purchase toolset.com? That that seems to me like it was in the last six months or so. About a year ago. Yeah. Okay, so we're over at toolset.com and um, the plugin toolset, well, it's not just one. It's a whole raft of different plugins that enable you to do all sorts of things. Maybe, Amir, maybe that's a good place to start. Would you mind just elucidating? Tell us what toolset is capable of and what it's typically used for. Um, so I like to think about it as having a developer working next to you mm. and doing his work really quickly and uh, for free. That's a that's a nice simple way of doing it. Um, you install a whole raft of different products, uh, so you can get forms and you can get views and you can get custom fields and custom post types and all of this kind of thing. But you've you've um, you've been busy recently uh, for a whole variety of reasons, and one of the reasons is that you've got version three point zero coming out. It says the production version is coming very soon. Um, on the website. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, the latest and greatest stuff that you've been up to recently? So if everyone, anyone is familiar with our products and watching our development uh, well, progress, then I'll just start with the end. Uh, we're freezing the development at the end of this week, which is Thursday, so it's not a lot of time. Uh, we'll be spending the next two weeks on QA. We got nice feedback from the release candidate that we released a few days ago. And then uh, two weeks from now, and we should have a production release. Um, so that's that's for people who are f familiar with this, our clients who may be listening. Uh, for anyone else, um, this has been the largest uh, development cycle that we we, we had for Toolset. Uh, we've had a team of, I think, seven developers working on this for mm -hmm. over a year. And uh, basically, we rebuilt most of the product from the ground up uh, using the feedback that we collected since the project started, maybe at uh, 2011 or so, some seven years ago. So, you know, over time, you learn. At the beginning, you make assumptions, then you learn stuff, and then you apply them. And we thought that it would be nice to apply major changes uh, together because... Otherwise, when you break it up into little pieces, then you need to make a, a bunch of sacrifices. Mm. So we, we, it, it's taken longer than we wanted, but still we're at the, at the end now. And we have basically a brand new product, which does significantly more than the, what, what it could do until now. When, um, when I often hear this phrase, we built it from the ground up, you know, which it, it kind of feels to me not being a plugin developer or, or in any way, shape or form connected with that kind of thing. It, it often feels like um, that, that people say that as, as a way of, you know, expressing how fabulous and new it is. Do, do you literally start with absolutely blank pages and go from there? Or do you, how, how does that work? What does it actually mean when you say we built it from the ground up? What, what proportion of the stuff is brand spanking new? And, and what are the reasons? Why, did, why do you need to build it from the ground up? Um, we, we actually started with mock-ups. This time, no, sorry. We started with uh, usability testing, mm -hmm. and then we proceeded to mockups. Um, one one team did the UI part, the other team did the the backend architecture. 
that it's, again it's a big word i'm sorry for that but no. in in our case the backend architecture meant the database schema meaning how you're going to store stuff mm-hmm. and from this you, how are you going to to use it okay um and how things will connect together um so, and then somewhere in the middle of the work the um the, the mockups had to and the the architecture had to meet they didn't meet halfway through it's it's not a compromise from both sides it's uh, how to put in to to implement the the architecture into the ui design what um what are the the new features that that you've added that that required this rebuild um because i know it's an incredibly complicated product that you're offering um and explaining yeah, that's, what that's, it does is really yeah, hard but uh, no that's the other thing uh complication is not a goal it's a result and we try to make it less complicated mm-hmm. this time around so we didn't want to just throwing pack in more and more and more features and make it yet more complicated we looked at actually what people are, are doing what they're trying to do and what they're doing at the moment and said okay what can how can we build it so it's it's uh, more straightforward to do it, not more complex to do. How do you how do you actually get, gather that intelligence? Do you do you sit with people, or do you just have, you know, do you stare over their shoulder and watch them perform tasks, or do you just write in? You know, is there a some sort of Slack channel or process that people can get involved in to well, you know to assist with this? Okay, well we have lots of uh, information, uh, support form for once. So you see. What things people you know find take t- need need support on, right? What uh, what what they're asking for support about, and where support gets complicated. Uh, support comes to us with feature requests. Well, uh, sorry, I'm interrupting myself. Uh, <laughs> we we have develop uh, daily meetings with our developers. We're a distributed team, so we do it over the internet. But okay. we still have uh, uh, daily meetings. Uh, the people who start these meetings every day would be the support team. So they they tell us which uh, urgent problems we have to fix, and also what issues clients find difficult to do. Okay, so the, the whole develop the entire development team knows every day about uh, urgencies. Yeah, hopefully having less of them, mm. and about difficulties. Um, so for urgencies, we need to come up with a solution right away. We don't want someone to say to, to hear, yes, this is on, on our roadmap, uh, sit tight and we'll get back to you. That's not going to work. Um, th- this is for urgencies. Uh, but uh, for difficulties, this uh, we can't give a solution right away to everything because sometimes, you know, if it's difficult, but there is a solution, then it's it, it stays as a support problem. But having the entire development team hear about these difficulties day after day, then you understand the, the yeah. importance. You understand what's pressing people. Okay. So this is one way of learning. The other way, and it doesn't cover everything, the other way is to do uh, usability testing and measure. Just measure. It works great, right? Yeah. Um, sorry, um, I, I thought you were going to carry on. <laughs> um, no, that's fine. I, I, I can explain what usability testing is if anyone's interested. I, I think I think we'll, yeah. Well, why not? Go on, just in a brief, brief summary. Um, you ask someone to do something for you. Uh, you, you observe. You don't offer uh, assistance besides explaining the instructions. 
which is uh, an incredibly difficult thing to do because you sit there, you say, just <laughs> click the button. It's a blue button. It's right there. Just click it. But you don't do this. And it's really frustrating because sometimes it happens at the very beginning and there's a whole range of things that you want to test. And you have to resist the temptation because uh, you need to you need to see this. You can't help him out in order to see the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you... Go you on, watch sorry, this. Carry on. So you watch this. Um, you make sure that the people who are responsible for the product they watch this also. Everyone takes notes about what they observed as being a problem, not what they thought would be a problem, but where they see the pe- person actually getting stuck at. And then you make decisions about what changes you want to do in the product in order for this problem not to happen again. Mm. Do you um, do you have any sort of concrete examples of where? Um, where you 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 watch that behavior, you saw a problem, and have now in the, the the release candidate, which is going to be coming out very soon, where you've where you fixed it. Could you could you illustrate for us a, a, a fix? Yeah. Um, in the last two usability sessions, we focused on the experience of new clients. So we invited people who've never seen Toolset to to use it. Um, we gave them a challenge. They were to uh, add the custom type to the yeah, add one custom type to the site, yeah. add a few custom fields, uh, design their own templates, their own archives, and their own views for that. And besides the introduction time, we had 50 minutes for each session. So within 50 minutes, they should have got, gotten a basic understanding of the product. They, they should be able to build a, a decent site for their clients. Not a beautiful site. We didn't uh, spend much time on the uh, cosmetics on the uh, visual design. We wanted ev- everything to work on the client side. Um, and actually, a lot of the feedback that we got for the from these two sessions was about uh, documentation, and we fixed that, and mm-hmm. eventually it worked. So, a real simple example: um, we told you know you can use different page builders with tools that you can use layouts you can use uh, just plain html you can use um, uh, dv uh, beaver builder other page builders we, we told clients this is the, these are the instructions do whatever you like mm. okay um and so we noticed that uh at, at the first uh session at the first uh, round of testing um people uh, kept uh, go- reading the wrong instructions because uh, we put different instructions for different methods on the same page and well obviously nobody reads it each and every word so people were uh, kind of drawn to screenshots to screenshots with um, oh, yeah. uh, high oh, contrast no. <laughs> yeah. they were drawn to high contrast screenshots and they were clicking on the instructions for a different uh, builder <laughs> well, who would have thought? That's a really interesting little insight. Is, yeah, so this is what you get from user usability testing. All these who would have thought stuff. It's it's a whole hour of exactly these kind of uh, moments. Yeah, I really like on your very recent blog post on the 26th of April, you've actually you've put a time limit on it, you know, what, what the usability improvements are in trying to get, you know, master the basics in 45 minutes and try to get some more advanced things under your belt in under an hour. That strikes me as a a really nice aspiration. Um, When I've used um, things like views and tool sets in the past, I I have to confess, I've I've 
been able to find all of those things re- relatively easily. Um, it didn't really trouble me too much. But some of the more difficult stuff, which Toolset is more than capable of, presumably that's even more difficult to to test. You know, if you're trying to create complicated views and conditional logic and all of that kind of stuff. Do you, presumably, you, you try to, to tackle that a little bit as well? Um, or do you leave all that stuff out of your usability testing and think, look, the hard stuff is going to be hard anyway? No, I mean, that, that's not going to be a smart thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so going forward, uh, we're going to do usability testing once a month now. Oh. Uh, we have a calendar with what we want to test. And uh, we're going to cover everything, basically everything. Right. I mean. Why why decide that you want to keep the get really good stuff difficult to use? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's lovely. It is it is there is an awful lot of complexity in there, isn't there? And I confess I've sort of scratched the surface of it, but that's really nice to know. Um the the, the latest version that's coming out quite soon then, apart from improving the usability of stuff which is familiar, is there any um fun new stuff which you've thrown in there as well? Anything that is is brand new that people will not have used before? Um, the post relationship, post relationship stuff is new. Until now, we had uh, parent-child relationships, which is basically one-to-many relationships. Mm-hmm. Now we have many-to-many relationships. Uh, we have um, uh, repeating groups of fields. We have post-reference fields, uh, and everything that comes with it. Do you, do you uh, want to do you want to explain um, why why this stuff is important? There's probably a significant amount of people who hear those words and and they unaware of what the the impact of of that is and how important it could be. Sure. So, uh, if you're building a site which has maybe one page which uh, tells your address in the world and a few words about yourself and your phone number, you probably don't need that. Uh, but if you're building any content-driven site meaning uh, something which um, has a, a lot of information and people need to find this information and use it, then you're most likely going to use this stuff. Or you should use this stuff if you understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's say that you're building a, a car dealership site, okay? And so you're going to have um, cars, presumably, and you may have agents, um, and the cars have uh, makers, okay, and they have different attributes. So you see, all this information is somehow connected, right? Uh, an agent um, is responsible for something. The cars belong to a brand. Um, there is service information that you may need to know, and um, the you want to put all this information on this site. So far, okay. So far, so good. Okay. And this is not something imaginative. If you'd look at uh, our showcase on toolset.com, well, at least 70% of the sites use that. Okay. At least, at least. The thing is, you don't have to use to look at our showcase. You're thinking, maybe these guys attract uh, really tough nuts. So you can go ahead and look at the showcase sites of uh, Avada, for instance, a very popular theme, um, and you'll discover the same thing. But what you'll discover when you look at the showcase of Avada is that um, the information is there, but people had to work very hard in order to maintain it on the site and Mm. present it. Mm. And then visitors don't have convenient access to this information because it's all inside pages, basically. Mm. Um, the, The difference between 
uh, having a, really a dynamic site and static site is like um, a static site is like a carbon copy of the real data. Um, okay, if you have this car dealership site, then you can just print out, just uh, let's say, let's say, look at the list of cars and click print screen. And now you click on a car, you do print screen, print screen, print screen, and you pin all these printed screens. You put them somehow together and connect with them in the menu, which is gonna work right but maintaining it is a different story oh yeah okay so uh, after you've made all these print screens save them and you put them as pages on your site uh, you, know, you want to make a little change you, you want to include another filter or you want to connect all these things to something else um, let's say you want to just show which car sold the most so you need to track uh, how many uh, items you sold and create a dynamic index that shows most popular cars this month. You know, maybe it's good. Maybe people like to buy according to popularity. They yeah, really sure. They, well, they do. <laughs> yeah. So you want to do this. Now, it's really difficult when all you have is uh, screenshots. You you want to be able to add this information to the site's backend and you don't want to uh, go to each and every car and include this in the design again and again um, and you want to be able to design uh, the listing for it or the template for it which shows this new information right I mean doesn't sound like rocket science hmm. uh, but if your content isn't connected together and if you haven't used uh, separate fields for different pieces of information it's all just inside the page as uh, design elements then this becomes really impossible um what is it that's what is it that's new in the advanced post relationships that didn't exist before um, when you had parent child and and all of that? What's the, the 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 level of complexity that that can now be achieved that was unachievable um, with the previous version? Um, when we designed our post relationship at the beginning, we thought that uh, most people will need parent-child relationships, which is one too many, meaning there's one parent and many children. Yeah. And we thought that uh, many to many relationships are going to be something nice that only a few people need. Mm. And we've learned that uh, in many practical sites, people need the, the many to many case. Uh, so it's not like 5% of the sites, it's more like the majority of the sites. Um, so for instance, you're make, making a um, a, student, a site for, for university and you want to have students and courses. Okay, so a yeah. student can register to many courses and the course typically has many students. Mm -hmm. That's a many-to-many -many relationship. Um, you could, we, we came up initially with a smart way of using two one-to-many relationships kind of glued together, which worked and people still use that. But this is where uh, it gets really complicated to understand. So something which is easy to explain was very difficult to implement, mm. right? Uh, and th th this is what we're changing now. So something which uh, you, I, I could describe in one sentence now also takes maybe 15 seconds to, seconds to set up and use. Wow. And, rather um, than several hours. Yeah, and uh, presumably um, is much more straightforward to to use yes. and understand, and and yeah. you've documented it all, so it's nice and easy for us to to sort of follow along. I'm guessing. 
Um, that we will see. Um, <laughs> but um, you go through a wizard. You explain the relationship in in English terms, not in programmish terms. Yeah. Um, and then when you're editing, you can see when you're editing a student, you can see a list of courses, and you can uh, connect an existing course to that student, or you can create a new course for that student. Um, same thing when you're editing a course, you can see the list of students and connect with them. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. Uh, when you're creating the template for a course, then you can insert a view which shows the students that participate in this yeah. course. Yeah. And you can already see that now you need to understand what you're doing. So um, it's not convoluted. But in order to succeed in it, you need to you need to remember what you're doing. I think this is the challenging mm -hmm. part here. I think also it, it it's fade, I mean the, the reality is that some of the stuff that Toolset is capable of doing is it's just hard, um, and actually getting your head around it is actually quite hard. Um, and and I feel sometimes that's what. Um, that that's where people give up with this stuff because they find it difficult um, to, uh, to to plow I, on and keep going. I learned, I learned from one client who was very kind to us and showed us his methodology, and this I think is very nice. Um, he first uh, does like a blueprint, like a, a plan of everything that he's going to have in the site, mm. and it draws uh, arrows between between the different things. And he explains, makes it very visual to himself um, what's going to appear on the site. And then when he goes to implement, it, the problem is remembering, really. So then when he goes to implementing his site, his own site, and he's at a certain uh, element, and he looks at it and says, oh, yes, but this element also relates to this and this and this. Yep. And then he immediately understands, okay, so this is what I need to do. Yes. Yeah. Having a visual representation is, is it, because as soon as you kind of click out of one screen and then you go and adapt the other thing that needs adapting, by the time you've uh, gone off and had a coffee and things like that, everything's gone. I kind yeah. of, I, I like that way, but it is, it, it is a, it's a difficult thing. And I think sometimes people um, are all too willing to say, oh, that, you know, the tool doesn't work for me or the UI is too difficult. Well, actually the, I think the UI for, for toolset is, is, is great, but it's just, you're trying to tackle things which are fabulously hard. Um, so yeah. Okay. Um, Let's move on from the sort of the recent updates um, of Toolset. And if you don't mind, let's get into the, the subject which is on everybody's lips at the moment. And that is uh, WordPress 5.0 with its Gutenberg project. Um, and I'm just interested to know what you guys are doing to, to make Toolset compatible with that. Um, and, and what you've done so far and, and what you think about Gutenberg in general. Thanks. So... Um... Well, first thing, what Gutenberg is. We understand that Gutenberg is supposed to be uh, the built-in page builder for WordPress. And this, I think, is still open to debate also because other people will tell you that Gutenberg can exist inside other page builders as the content builder. Mm. So this remains to be seen, I guess. It depends who you ask and where they're coming from. Uh, according to how we see Gutenberg working on our development sites, it looks like a fully featured uh, page builder. Mm -hmm. um, so this is how we consider this. 
um, and it's going to ship into WordPress Core not so not so uh, much time from now, yep. not in the very, very distant future. Uh, in more time than uh, some people are saying, but not in within a year or so, a lot sooner than that. Uh, so having said this, um, obviously toolset needs to be fully integrated with Gutenberg and not only toolset, everything that we build. Meaning uh, for for toolset, specifically for toolset, you need to be able to design uh, templates, archives, views, and forms with Gutenberg. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, so today you can design within toolset without any additions you can design these elements with either plain html or with our layouts editor yep and we also have integrations with a number of page builders now uh as, as soon as uh, gutenberg is available uh, you'll be you'll have the option to design it with gutenberg so if you have gutenberg active on that side that should be your default i'm assuming yeah um so, for instance, you're going to design, let's say that you're building a, a real estate uh, site. Okay. You're going to design a template for a house and you're going to use the Gutenberg editor. It already has uh, columns and blocks, so you can create a top top section with, let's say, a featured image. Mm -hmm. And inside that, you can put some text. And underneath it, you can create uh, several columns. And in each column, you can create, you put in different fields. Okay, and you save it. So you've, you've created, you've designed the template uh, visually. You save it, and then when you go and uh, edit a house, um, you you don't see the standard WordPress editor. You see the template that you've designed, mm. and the fields appear like frozen. In it yeah. like in in uh, you cannot move the fields around. Mm -hmm. What you can just do is enter the values into the fields. You yeah. can upload an image. You can uh, enter the price information like that. It, okay. So, yes. Now I was just going to say I find that I think that's quite intuitive, and I think that people, um, especially people who don't build websites, people who are just yeah. using them, I think they'll find that quite useful. That that visual way of inputting Precisely. data. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that Gutenberg was designed for them, not for the developers. No. So that the end users have a, an easier way of using WordPress from now on. They don't need to learn so many different tools. Uh, the hope for Gutenberg is that the custom fields uh, section will be mostly unnecessary, which mm. I think is going to happen. Mm. Uh, so in our real estate example, you're still going to enter values into post-meta, into custom fields, but you just enter the values in place, not mm -hmm. in a text list below yeah uh, there are still going to be some places where you'll probably want to use uh, text uh, custom fields separately as text fields mm -hmm. for instance when you have a repeating field group it's going to be very um, impractical to yes use in line yeah because you don't understand what you're doing mm. other than this i think everything is going to be in line from now on um, how has it been from your point of view and your team's point of view? Um, obviously, it's been it's been nothing but Gutenberg for the last well year, but certainly the last six months. Has it been plain sailing adapting to to Gutenberg, or have you had to have you had headaches and had to go back and redo things as as the team at Gutenberg have have changed things? Um, well, luckily for us, uh, it's been a straight line so far. Great. Um, 
we we uh, we did the same approach as I think Napoleon did maybe. Uh, <laughs> we, no, really, whatever worked for us, we continued, and whatever didn't work for us, uh, we asked for help. And I think Gutenberg folks have been very cooperative with many authors like us, third-party authors. Mm. I think this is why they released the uh, the plugin version WordPress.org so early, mm. not so much uh, to get hammered by uh, angry. Uh, clients, uh, users, but in order to 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 get the cooperation of uh, other plugin developers. Yeah. Um. So I don't think that we got stuck with anything. Uh, we had issues. They worked with us on them on GitHub, and they got resolved. So they did this in order for them to understand the issues. Do you see um, Gutenberg? Over time, making your layouts uh, feature um, slightly more obsolete than it is now, or do you plan to yeah. continue to develop that in tandem with Gutenberg? Oh, it's going to be at least different than now. Yeah, I maybe it's not going to be obsolete, but it's definitely going to be different. Mm. Layouts. If you look at the name layouts, it started as a layout en- en- engine uh, to design the structure of the site, the structure of pages, not to design the inside of each page. Mm. And we kind of got dragged into designing the in- inside of pages because this is what people asked us to do. Mm. But I, I would definitely say that layout is not the best page builder for WordPress by, by far. Uh, it is a good layout editor, though. Uh, within, uh, if you compare layouts to any other tool in WordPress to build layouts, layout is better. It's, it's a good tool for building layouts, yep. but it's not a good tool for as a page builder. Mm. And I would be super happy if layout went back. Layouts went back into its place of being a layout editor. So, so simply put this here, put that there, yeah, and uh, don't worry. And this this is not intended to make it look nice. It's just that's where it goes. Yeah, let's have a widget area here. Uh, let's have a footer here. Let's have all this, and let's not design it with this tool. Uh, so I think, if, according to the demos that I've seen for Gutenberg it will definitely allow you to control different parts of the page, mm. to design the look of different parts of the page. I haven't seen any demo for Gutenberg, which no. attempts to arrange the, the layout of the page. No, n- nor I yet. Um, what, what, no. I'm, what I'm fascinated with with Gutenberg is, is just everybody's different angle on it and the fact that we, we still don't really know what it's going to be. And, and each, each person that I talk to who does something akin to you, a plugin developer, has got their own take on it and how difficult yeah, it's been and how easy it's been. And I'm, I'm glad that for you, at least anyway, it's, um, it's been plain sailing so far because um, it could have been otherwise, couldn't it? I yeah. guess it, there was a, a, a deep there was a, a very large chance that it could have really disrupted things for you, Sam. I'm really uh, pleased. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, t- moving on completely different subject, um, a, a little while ago, and you'll be able to tell me exactly when it was, you, you had a real change of tactic with your pricing um, mm-hmm. in that uh, up until, well, when was it that you, you changed your pricing model? About a month ago, maybe yeah. a month and a half now. How's that gone? Because previously there was there was the option, and it was something that I actually bought into many years ago, um, to buy everything in this one-off uh, fee with lifetime access, if you like, and and that that's now been removed, and now we're on to more straightforward pricing, which is kind of like the industry standard, I think, of recurring um, yearly fees and what have you. What was the decision behind that, and and has it has it been well accepted, or have you had um, some some blowback on that? 
Well, so basically we realized that uh, lifetime licenses, they're uh, very similar to free licenses. Yes. Uh, well, unless unless you want to do uh, just a very short-lived, short-lived project and you mm. don't really care what happens in two years from now. Yes. If you're planning to have a long-term relationship with your clients and uh, you want clients to keep using what you built for several years from now, uh, lifetime is free. Um, because and at we, some point we, you, you start bearing the cost of those people because you've kind of spent their money, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very difficult to build something sustainable when it's free. Mm. You need to pay salaries. You have support people. You, you want to do something. You can't do this without money. Yeah. Nobody can. Did you did you um, communicate with the with your audience and encourage people to you know that this was going to happen, or um, did you just sort of make a snap decision and get on with it? Um, we announced it. Uh, we discussed this. But not everyone got the update, mm. and then uh, not everyone was extremely pleased with this. Um, so, first thing I can see why. So, if lifetime means free, then it means everyone gets it. It's not just us who understand. Everyone understands it. When someone wants to buy a lifetime product, it's because uh, he makes a good decision that this is something that he's going to use for a long while, and he doesn't want to keep paying for it, which mm. kind of makes sense. I would want to do this if. If I had the chance, like if I could buy a lifetime gasoline for my car, I would do this. Today. <laughs> That's a great example. I, I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. That's me. <laughs> I've done exactly that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, and um, we, we want to be able to invest in the product. Yeah. We want to be able to support our clients, and we cannot do this if they're not paying for it. Mm, mm, yeah, fair enough. I guess when the when the business started, um, who knew that it was going to go on for this long? Who knew that WordPress was going to become as popular as it did and the default um, that, CMS? That, that's one thing. And the other thing is the maturity. Mm. So when the project started, people were right to to suspect to have doubts they don't know how if it's going to succeed yeah. when they buy a lifetime account 6 years ago lifetime for what maybe for 6 months who knows uh, and they didn't know if they're going to like the product so maybe they're wasting their money on an, ex- on an expensive lifetime account and they're going to stop using it after 7 months they're mm. not going to get a refund for that mm. so yeah, everyone yeah. was taking a risk at the beginning yeah but we're in a different situation now and we see the scale now we now we know how to do the math we know more or less how much we need to invest in each client in terms of ongoing support Mm. um we know this we can calculate we have enough historic data for that um we know how much how even development uh, an an existing client doesn't uh, doesn't require only support he also requires development because Mm. Once in a while, you need something that not so many other people need, and we don't want to leave you hanging. So we can't. People know our clients know that we don't. We are not able to implement all the features that everyone asks instantly. Yeah. But still, we implement quite a lot of uh, features that only a few clients need. Yeah. So existing clients cost you support and development. I I think. Um... I think the the entire um, community would understand everything that you've just said and, and would judge it fair. 
I guess the only people who have got a quibble um, would be the people who sort of missed out on that and feel. Yes, but, but, but okay. Life. So no, that's that's it's it's life and it's uh, also to learn from. So what I learned from this, and we've done, we're doing the same for WPML just differently. What I've learned from it is that we announce it um, clearly. We announce it more than once. We, we don't assume that because we've sent out an email, everyone read it. Mm. So we're announcing it more than once. Um, we're making it uh, crystal clear. And some people will still not uh, get it on time. And we, we need to, uh, to find a way to make them uh, at, at least reasonably happy. Yeah. Uh, so the reasonably happy arrangement that we have for toolset is that we tell people, listen, you you're gonna uh, it it's, it costs you more from now. Uh, so when you bought it, it had cost something like this. If you would uh, upgrade, uh, you'd set up the automatic renewals now. At least for the first year, you get a refund for the difference between what you would what you expected. Yeah, to good. Pay. Yeah. yeah. It's not a whole lot of money, but it's that's the least that we can do. Yeah. And um, what what is the current pricing? It hasn't changed. Just that uh, there is uh, there is a yearly renewal, so uh, you can buy the basic account, which allows you to get automatic updates for one site, and this thing costs sixty nine dollars initially, and then uh, there's a twenty five percent discount for the yearly renewals. Let me mm. just see how much that is. So sixty nine. So that's $51 a year for the renewal. Okay. Yeah. That's if you want to get uh, for one site. One site. For yeah. unlimited sites, it's $149 uh, initial for the first year and then 111 for the yearly renewals for okay. unlimited sites. Yeah, I mean, it's fair pricing. I mean, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, there's an awful lot of people um, charging higher fees than that for something which does considerably less, shall we say, and probably don't well, have quite the team that you've got to support in the background. Well, but yeah, you know, a, a customer doesn't care how much money we're spending on the team. He cares what kind of value he gets for this. Yeah. This is why we're doing all these usability testings because, well, I'm just, I think you can fix the value in two ways. Either you make, you ask for less money or you divide it by more, more sites. So if today someone uh, builds uh, three sites a year with toolset and he says, you know, I have another three sites that I need to build, but it's a lot of work for me, so maybe I'll choose a different tool. Mm. Then it's 149 divided by three. Yeah. But if you make it a lot easier for him to use, then it's 149 divided by six, which costs less, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Um, if it's all right with you, we'll just sort of round off. I've got. A, I asked in my communities um, some random questions to be to be given. Um, and I'll just go through a, a few of them. Some of them I think we've tackled anyway. But um, one of the ones which came up quite a lot was um, Elementor, the the page builder, which uh, which is it's the, also developed in Israel, you know. Yes, yes. I was speaking to Ben Pines. We had him on the the podcast about ooh, probably about three months ago now. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I wondered actually. I wondered if there was some connection because maybe you guys actually know each other or something. You know, your we're team. Definitely, we definitely we definitely yeah. know each other, right? Uh, we don't live that far away from each other. Uh, I think there was a great interest on both sides to make it work. It's just that uh, each team has its own priorities. Mm. So I think that the Elementor guys have been extremely busy in the last months because they went out with Elementor 2, Two yeah. which includes a whole bunch of uh, new features. Yep. 
and now I think that they will continue being a little busy because these features now work more tightly with themes. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that they have a little bit of support load on their hands going to their development team. Um, so as soon as they get around to doing this integration, they already have everything that they need from us. Ah, that's nice to know. Ah, that's good. Okay, that's maybe answered that question. I think people were just saying this is something that they're anxious to get in their hands. You know, the combination of toolset with Elementor would be a, you know, a nice killer combination. So great. Oh, wonderful. Um, let's have a look. The Another question which kept coming up was um, inside of um, Toolset, you've got the ability to add uh, custom fields. And one mm -hmm. of the questions was asked, um, are there any more fields that might be coming along in the future that are going to be added? Um, well, I mean, the, the question goes on and on, but I'll just leave it like that. Have you got any, any more, maybe more complicated fields coming down the track? Uh, it's very easy for us to add new kinds of fields, and we haven't had many requests for adding different field clients. So if clients do want that, then please talk with us. Tell okay. us what you need. Explain to us what you're going to do with it, and it's really easy to do. Yep. And you've recently renamed um, a core component of Toolset called CRED, which is an acronym which I didn't realize, um, yeah. to Toolset Forms. Have I got that right? Yeah. Yes, nobody realized that. No. <laughs> Does that what is it? Create something, something, something. <laughs> yeah, create, read, create, read, edit, and delete. It's yeah, it used makes... a lot in universities. Yeah, so. it makes perfect sense when you say yeah. it. Is there any um, is there any plan for that to become at any point um, a more fully featured um, forms plugin? Is one question. Uh, yes, and uh, actually. Uh, we recently, I recently solicited feedback from clients about what they need in CRED, and we got a lot of very useful feedback. Mm. Um, so now that we're done with this major post-relationship project, uh, the developers working on CRED, that this is their next project. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So that's going to be, that'll be really interesting to watch out for. Good, good, good scoop but, but there. But there also, yeah, hold your excitement because when, when someone says full, now everyone means, <laughs> yeah. means something else with this fullness. Yeah, they basically want you to replicate gravity forms or something like that, yeah. yeah um, not necessarily. different. And then we discovered that different people have different ideas. Ah, Someone, Other people want to have uh, webhooks like in Drupal. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very open question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, there was some mention from one question about um, you, you've got a theme builder program. I forget what it's called. Um, is that still ongoing? You had some sort of... We, we, because of our changes in our account system, we had to kind of freeze it a little bit because we we didn't prepare to sell it with the new subscriptions. Ah. And we're fixing this right now and we're making it work with a new development in Types 3.0 and then we will get back to promoting it. Okay, oh good, okay, that's nice. Yeah, it, it seemed like when I saw the, the press releases for that, it seemed like a really nice idea. Mm. Um, People are actually using it, it's not bad. Yeah, well, that's good to know. And then the final question for today, if that's all right, this is a bit of a strange mm -hmm. one. This must be from a, a Drupal user, I'm guessing, because it just says rules plugin for WordPress, question mark. That's that's what I was referring to. Uh -huh. um, uh, this works with forms and it allows you to determine what happens after you do something. Yes. Yeah, I, I'd like to have this. Uh, uh, I would like you to have that to do that. <laughs> there's actually a WordPress plugin which does this with Gravity Forms, and 
we have a compatibility team though made up of smart people and i would my first uh, preference would be to to get other authors who already built this to make it work with toolset yeah that's a, that sounds like a, a, a sensible way of doing it i remember being a being a, an ex drupal user myself it was it was a, along with the views module uh rules yeah. was just an absolute you know it was a home run it was so so powerful and so useful um so yes that would be great if that can be coming down the line so there you go um that was Amir from Toolset, uh, On The Go Systems, WPML, and all of those good things. Is there anything you would like to add? Any URLs you want to drop or promotional stuff you want to say just before we round off? Well, your visitors are uh, invited to, to see toolset.com, our site. And uh, if you're offering uh, coupons, then I'll, I'll create one for you so you can give a, a little discount to anyone who's coming from you. Oh, that's very kind and completely unsolicited. We didn't discuss that in any way, shape or form. I will ensure to, to put whatever code uh, I, you give to me in our show notes um, and I'll mention it at the beginning of the podcast. So thank you very much for coming on today, Amir, and telling us all about the latest and greatest stuff that you're doing. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. And today's ending fact comes from expandedramblings.com. We're looking at their WordPress statistics. And there was one on their most the most popular WordPress themes. And apparently it's a tie. It's Genesis and Divi. And they both have 10% of all WordPress sites. Now, this was last updated. Now, I'm English, so I'm going to get this wrong. So it was on the 2nd of the 23rd month, 2017. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The 23rd <laughs> month. It doesn't have a name. It's yet to be discovered. Now, it's 23rd of February, 2017. Yes. yes. I'm, I'm surprised. I am surprised. And it's basically, I think it comes down to the fact that it's the communities that I live in, you know, the Facebook groups that I'm in and the little echo chambers that we all uh, we all yeah. get, get, get ourselves into. Because for me, the things that I hear all the time are about um, Astra and about mm. Generate Press and the, these would have been my pick for the most popular, but clearly not. I mean, we're a year yeah. out, so it's definitely a little bit out of date. But nevertheless, um, if you click on the link in their, on their website, it shows you um, a bar chart, which indicates that at the time of writing it, Genesis had 10%, Divi had uh, a, a, a equally 10%, and then it slowly goes down. You've got your default WordPress theme at the time, um, things like 2017 and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Avada on 5%. And the other um, is represented by, uh, you know, pretty much everything else, 53%. So there's quite a lot in that 53%. But there's things like yeah. um, Foodie Pro, a theme I've never even heard of, which gets <laughs> 2%. Enfold, heard of that one. Uh, yes another i think two percent yeah two percent but i'm surprised you were a big fan of genesis weren't you why 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 genesis yeah well it was the really stable well there's a history isn't it wordpress history with that one because brian gardner did the first premium wordpress um theme he did revolution and this was his follow-up genesis so we already had that 
you know, you always had those WordPress core developer fans out there who jumped on it and they loved it and it was very stable. And I think, you know, it was a lifetime license you bought and it was bought by people who make web, lots of websites. Right. So it doesn't surprise me, you know, because it's it was really selling to professionals who would take that one license and build so many websites. And I think yeah. that's still the case. And I won't take mine down because it's still so stable. I'm not going to replace it. So was that its main selling point, that it's entirely rock solid and stable? Was that one of the things that drew people in? It wasn't so like packed with features left, right and centre. It was just um, I, just stable. I, as- yeah, I, well, it used something that, I, you know, seems out of date now because of page builders. But, I mean, it, it allowed you to take WordPress widgets and place those in areas of your theme and style those. And so it gave people who weren't really developers a way of with just copying and pasting a few PHP snippets of doing a lot more than they could do before while still keeping a fairly clean site. I see. Okay. And Divi? Any experience of Divi? No. Well, I was a member of that. You know, I was I was in elegant themes for many, many years and I never really used Divi. But yeah, I'm surprised. That's I guess that has caught it up. So that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah, that is interesting. Well, there you go. Um, because I'm in a silo, I wouldn't have picked those ones, but I'm um, I'm pleased to be educated. I wonder if that's <laughs> still true. It'd be interesting if that survey is redone. Um, what are we now, mm. sort of 15 months later, whether it'd still be the same. My guess is we'd have some new incumbents on that chart and a few would have fallen off. But there we go. Great. Uh, that's the end of this week's podcast. Thanks for joining us and listening to us drone on yet again. Um, please go to the the website and click on the buttons and share it itunes reviews are always favorable but i have nothing more to say except that i'm nathan wrigley and i'm david wormsley and thanks for joining us and we'll fade in the cheesy music and say we hope you join us next week bye-bye thank you bye